The Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Guy Methan, who is a journalist and Swiss politician, former director and editor-in-chief of the main Geneva newspaper, Tribune de Genève, executive director of the Geneva Press Club and columnist for various Swiss newspapers. Since 2001, he's been a member of the Geneva Parliament, was a speaker of the parliament in 2010, and is author of several books, two from Clarity Press, which we'll be discussing today, Creating Russophobia, From the Great Religious Schism to Anti-Putin Hysteria, and Europe's Existential Dilemma, To Be or Not to Be an American Vassal. Hello and welcome, Mr. Matan. Hello, good to see you. I'm happy to, to talk with you to, today. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. And, you know, I, I wanted to talk about both of your books and, and themes of, uh, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and the new Cold War on Russia, as well as the EU project it itself. And both are, are very important right now and uh, interlinked. You've said the West has engaged in more or less violent hostilities for a thousand years against Russia. And this is something no one seems to talk about today. We are, people are forgetting the media doesn't talk about this, you know, from Napoleon and Hitler to the US, EU and NATO today. It's clear much of the aggression, much of the time has come from the West against Russia. Um, so, you know, could you kind of help us understand the, the current conflict and what's going on with Ukraine, uh, the conflict, uh, this war and why Russia is so hated? Yeah. So thank you for the, for the question. It's a very long story as you as you said, it's, uh, in my view, a thousand, thousand years old uh, story. Uh, because I think the roots of this conflict, we can see now in Ukraine, are very uh, deeply uh, rooted in, in history in Europe. And uh, in my view, it, everything has started with... Uh, you know, 1,200 years ago, when a new emperor came into power here in Europe, uh, this, the name of this emperor was Charlemagne, Charles the Great, uh, and he was the first one, he was a German, and he was the first one to restore, he wanted to restore the old Roman Empire, which collapsed at the 5th century after Jesus Christ. And uh, this guy uh, was a conqueror. He was uh, he was uh, a, a blood a blood maker, if I can say, because he killed a lot of people uh, to conquer his uh, new uh, states. You know, in in Germany, it was in South Germany and north of France. His, his capital was Aix La Chapelle, Aachen, uh, now in Germany, and uh, this guy wanted to change the religion. Uh, because it was the orthodox or religious at the time, and the Pope, everybody was orthodox in Europe or in, in, uh, in the East, uh, in Jerusalem, Turkey, and so on, in Constantinople. But uh, this guy wanted to change uh, the, 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 the composition of the Trinity. You, you know, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He wanted to change a little bit the thing. Uh, it was, it's, ideological fight for him in order to, to have a common ideology, new religious ideology for his states. But he could not succeed. He, he, he succeeded to become an emperor because the Pope, he helped the Pope to reconquer his seat, the holy seat in Rome. And uh, he could uh, become emperor, but he could not change the religion. Uh, this change came 
one century, 50 years later, in the 10th century, when a new German prince uh, called Otto was able also to gather uh, European states and to create a new empire. It was the Holy, the Rom the Holy Roman German Empire. And he wanted also to change the, the religion. He could not succeed at first. He has to, his successor was able to do it 50 years later. Uh, and it was the religious schism. We have, uh, we have uh, told uh, just a few minutes, uh, which happened in the 11th century. Why uh, this, uh, uh, this remembering of the history? Because this religious schism between Catholic, uh, people who became Catholic, it was in the Western Europe, and the Orthodox in the Eastern part of Europe, in Greece and uh, Byzantine Empire, was the first divide of Europe, of the Christian world, let's say, in two parts. And now we can still uh, see that in Ukraine. For instance, in Ukraine, you have also this kind of this same division between the Unyat, we call the Unyats uh, in Ukraine, in the West Ukraine. These people are from Orthodox right, but they are submitted to Catholic Pope in Rome. They depend on the Pope. And the other, the eastern part of Ukraine, is still remain the state pure. Orthodox. And you have this divide, this gap, just in the middle of Ukraine. So it's a very uh, thousand-year history. We can see all, always today, until today, the importance of this topic, uh, even now in the uh, modern Ukraine. Uh, so just was, uh, uh, I just mentioned that to remember how deep is this divide because after the collapse of the Greek uh, uh, Christianity, of the Eastern Christianity, uh, you know, the collapse of Constantinople, uh, Polis, uh, with the Ottoman, with the Turks at the 15th century, the, the heritage of the Orthodox Christianity and the heritage of the Byzantine Empire was transferred to Moscow because it was Moscow who take into account as a heritage all this religious and political, uh, it was the follow-up, if I can say. And the hate between Catholic and Orthodox uh, was also transposed, transferred to the Russian after the collapse of the Byzantine. So we can see how the hate of the Eastern of the, or the Orthodox has migrated uh, du during, uh, during centuries. A message from our sponsors. It seems we're headed for economic collapse, a dystopian social credit system, even another world war. As a longtime expat myself, I've secured multiple passports, getaway locations, foreign financial accounts, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. Mikhail Thorup of the Expat Money Show can help you do the same and become great reset proof. He's hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim your freedom in a time of upheaval and uncertainty by moving your life 
life, business, and wealth offshore. Themes include securing your plan B safe haven, offshore banking, decentralized finance, second passports, and much more. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy eating bug burgers in your smart city. If you do find yourself stuck in a smart city, the Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in English and Spanish, so hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. And don't forget to fund Geopolitics and Empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. And it was, uh, it's interesting also to notice that in the modern times, uh, in, the, in the late uh, uh, 18th century, it was French, the French king, uh, Louis uh, XV, who, um, who rediscovered, if I can say, the Russophobia, because uh, he uh, married a Polish uh, princess, and so he take the Polish, uh, how can I say, the Polish uh, view of the world, very anti-Russian, uh, in, uh, in, his, uh, in his mind. And this guy has forged a fake document called the, 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 the Fake Testament of Peter the Great, Saint Peter the Great. It was completely fake, but this paper, uh, for this fake paper, uh, was saying that the mission of the Tsar was, of the, the heirs of uh, Peter the Great, uh, was to conquer, conquer the Europe, France, Germany, Italy, and so on. Completely fake, but uh, Napoleon, uh, because Napoleon was angry with the Tsar, they were friends, but after the they divide, they had conflict. And Napoleon rediscovered his fake document and he published it in 1812 because he wanted to make a war uh, against the Tsar, Alexander I, and he has to justify, to find, to find a reason or to invent a reason. So he published this fake uh, uh, testament uh, saying, oh, look, uh, the mission of the, the historical missions of the, the Tsar is to conquer Germany, France, and all the world. So I have to, to, to make, we have to make as a French power, to make a preemptive war against the Russians in order to stop them, uh, to conquer them. We have to attack, uh, to attack Russia at first before they will attack us and go conquer us. And it was the Napoleon expedition in, uh, in Russia. Unfortunately for Napoleon, he was beaten, <laughs> he was defeated, and he has to surrender. Uh, so that's the, uh, uh, what we can say, the, 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 the emerging of the modern Russophobia through the French uh, king and uh, after the French emperor Napoleon. So maybe I am too long, uh, but you know this uh, this forged 
a document is for the this fake testament was after the Napoleonic Wars uh, was translated into English by uh, the the British uh, the British uh, ideologues the British imperialists in just after the Treaty of Vienna in 1815 after 1815 and why because after Napoleon was defeated there was two there were two um, um, victory uh, nations. One was Great Britain with uh, Nelson, you know, Trafalgar, the Battle of Trafalgar, and General Wellington. And the other victory power was Russia, the Tsar Alexander. So two, um, uh, two, two victors, yes, two, and uh, four. So uh, the British were very happy. Then the Russians were helping them to defeat uh, Napoleon. But after the victory, it was a problem for them because they didn't they didn't wish to share, you know, the the victory with the Russian. So they started to develop a new Russophobia inside uh, within. Uh, Great Britain. That's the reason why they translated the fake testament of Peter the Great for saying to the British public opinion, oh, look, look at this document. The Russian, they help, maybe they helped us to, 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 to fight against Napoleon. But now they will to conquer, they will to be expansionist. So we have also to defend ourselves and to make the war with, with them. And they did it, you know, during the, we can see uh, when we read, for instance, uh, uh, the Times uh, newspaper, London Times and so on, saying this kind of forgery becoming more and more successful with some cartoons designing the Tsar as a vampire, you know, as <laughs> with, with big teeth, uh, because you, the, you can see London, uh, Tower of London, uh, St. Paul Cathedral, with the vampire, the Tsar and vampire flying on London with big teeth to suck the poor British citizen, you know. Uh, so that kind of, uh, of uh, propaganda. And it was quite successful because what happened in 1863, the British, with the help of the French, they invade Russia and they made the first Crimean War in 1853 during two, three years. Uh, it was a big, uh, big war, quite an important war, because it was also kind of uh, with the help of Turkey too, so three, four countries against Russia, as we can say now. So not yet NATO, but kind of, uh, you know, the same partners, if we can see if we can say that. So we can say this Russophobia migrating from France to Great Britain. And it's also funny to, to, to remark that Dracula, you know, the Dracula, the, 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 the novel of Dracula, it was written, the book was written in the 1870 uh, years. Huh? Uh, in 18, it was 1878, I think, the first publication. And Dracula was the 
caricature of the Tsar. Because at, the ta- at that time, uh, the Carpathian place where Dracula was supposed to live belonged to the Russian Empire. So it was a, a propaganda novel against the Russian. We have forgot that now, forgotten that now because now Romania is no more Russia, but at the time it was written, this Dracula book, just as a propaganda tool against the Russian by the British imperialists uh, of the 19, uh, from the 19, 19th century. And after that, we can see that the Russophobia migrated from, from uh, Great Britain uh, to Germany. Why? Because at the end of the 19th century, uh, the German Empire was built after the victory against France at the Versailles, the Chateau de Versailles in 1870. And uh, at the time, uh, 20 years later, Germany was completely uh, built up. Uh, the empire was completely integrated and uh, the German emperor uh, has observed Okay, we have the empire, we are the first power in continental on continental Europe, but we have no colonies. So it's unjust because everybody in the world uh, has colonies in Africa, in Asia, and so on, but we have nothing. The Spanish of Latin America, the British and the French Africa, the Holland, uh, Holland as uh, Indonesia, Malaysia. Uh, but we have nothing. So, but everything is occupied. We have something, maybe some countries in Africa, but that's not enough. And they developed the idea of German expansion in the Eastern Europe, in Ukraine and in Russia. And that's why they developed a new kind of Russophobia, German Russophobia, saying, oh, our Lebensraum, our um, vital space uh, will be in Eastern Europe. And we can see the German propagandists, the German ideologists, the German geopolitician uh, developing uh, this Drang nach Osten, in German uh, language, this, uh, this push. Uh, to the east, to translate, Dwangna uh, Osten, in Ukraine and Germany. And Hitler, the German emperor, tried to do it during the First World War. World War and Hitler took these same, um, same ideas and transformed that into a racist one. Uh, uh, and he tried to do it during the Second World War. But, uh, Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, Germany or Nazi Germany was defeated in 1945. So the, the, the dream of Hitler uh, collapsed by chance, and it collapsed thanks to the Soviets, thanks to the Russians, the, 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 the USSR. And in the 1945, we have exactly the same pictures 
as we had in 1950 after the Napoleonic War. We have two big victors, uh, victory powers. One was was United States, and the other one, the Russia, the communist Russia, the USSR. And exactly the same thing happened after 1945, because the United States were very happy to see that the Soviet has defeated Hitler with 26 million people dead, with 26 million victims in a Soviet, and only 200,000 American soldiers who died in Europe. So the completely, so the main victor power uh, against Hitler was not United States, but USSR. Mm-hmm. Um, only the figures. Yeah, Mister, I just yeah. I, I wanted to jump uh, a bit yeah, forward. Yeah. You're one of the few that really lays out this foundation, and this is crucial, I think, to understand. No, no one's talking about this, and it's just in many ways history repeating itself. You know, empire and and these different cycles, and then just kind of to jump forward to today. Uh, yeah. m- m- many people know it's 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 well known, and we don't need to get into. Uh, you know, if we go from the 2000s uh, until today, what's happening? The 2004, we had the orange color revolution, uh, and 2000, yeah. 2014, we had the Maidan coup. You know, where Canada and, and U.S. and all these NGOs basically took control of uh, Ukraine, and they've been using it as a battering ram uh, to go for Russia. Uh, we see like the the Rand Corporation 2019 white paper. It seems like yeah. they re- they really want to try to destroy Russia again and subjugate it uh, completely. Um, and, and then to get your thoughts on t- today, you know, 2022, how you see the events in, in Ukraine uh, for a while. Uh, my view is, I mean, in your books, you've talked about Yugoslavia as well. Uh, I, I'm Croatian. I, as a child, I spent 1994 in Croatia during part of the war. Um, and I, I feel that Ukraine right now will, the, the West wants Ukraine, the war to continue. Uh, exactly. it, will, it will become like a Yugoslavia-like situation where it will go on for years. But it seems like they are willing to risk, uh, you know, world war. Uh, again, what are your thoughts on what's happening today, the situation in Ukraine? Yeah, no, ju- just to, to, to finish in, in one minute. After 1945, we have this United, United States and, and USSR as victor. But what happened? United States w- 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 didn't want to share the, the, the victor with the USSR, and they started the Cold War against communism. And what happened uh, uh, 40 years later, in, in the end of the, the 80s, when the USSR uh, collapsed, disappeared, Normally, they, they should uh, end NATO because NATO was built against Soviet, against the communism, against the Soviet state. But as soon as the Soviet state disappeared, collapsed, there were no more ground for maintaining NATO. But it didn't happen. Why? Because uh, if, even if United States had was the the, uh, the yes the victor uh, power of the Cold War? It was not enough for them because they started 
what we call the globalization and to 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 make the to ensure uh, the US hegemony on the world there were still a big stone in the shoe that was still Russia even if Russia was poor uh, with the Yeltsin time in the 90s in the, the years 90s were uh, very uh, economically depressed and so on but it was not enough for United States to get this very still very big country alive so they tried, as you said, as you mentioned, not uh, to uh, to close NATO, but to develop it, to develop it. Uh, because uh, in, in 1991, there were only 15 countries member of NATO. And today, there are 30 countries. So the double in, in, in a peacetime, when the enemy disappeared, Collapse. Despite of that, NATO doubled. So that's because United States wanted absolutely to contain Russian threat, and everything and uh, started from there. Because uh, when uh, Yeltsin uh, passed away and uh, Putin came into power, restore, rebuilt. Uh, the Russian economy, making Russia strong again uh, with uh, an army, with a strong, pretty strong economy and so on, uh, it was unacceptable for the United States. That's why they continued, they followed the development of NATO and also the containment of Russia. Uh, uh, it was President Bush the Brzezinski book, The Great Chessboard, written in 1997, saying, oh, we have to conquer Ukraine because Ukraine is the pivotal power of the, in Europe. So we absolutely uh, have uh, to conquer Ukraine because if Ukraine remains in the Russian orbit, in the Russian sphere of influence, it will bring too big power, give too big power to Russia. Uh, so we have to take it in order to cut the influence of Russia, the power of Russia in Western Europe. And that's exactly, that was the, the purpose of Madeleine Albright, uh, Brzezinski, Wolfowitz, all the neoconservatives at the time. And they just applied the plan. They just realized the plan, the plan they conceived in the 90s. And step by step, it was built. Uh, the first, but the first big friction, if I can say, happened in 2006 when uh, George Bush, uh, George W. Bush, announced at a NATO summit in 2006. Uh, the first time he, he, he expressed the idea that Ukraine and Georgia could be member of NATO. It was a red line for the Russian. And just a few months later, in 2007, President Putin at the Munich Conference on Security said very firmly, we cannot accept that Ukraine and Georgia 
will belong uh, to NATO because for us it's just a question of existential. Uh, it's a it's a vital problem for us. So it's a red line. We cannot accept that. It was the first time, so 15 years ago, that Putin said that to the Western countries, to the NATO countries. But he was not heard, not at all, because what happened a few months after the Munich conference in April 2008, the NATO summit officially invited Ukraine and Georgia, opened the door to Ukraine and and Georgia. And just after that, four months later, in August 2008, United States supported the attack of Georgia in Ossetia against Russia. If you remember, in August uh, 2008, when Putin was participating to the opening day, opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympic Games, the Georgian has seized the opportunity saying, oh, Putin is in Beijing, the Russian are probably drinking uh, some vodka, so we can attack because they got the permission of the United States, of their, yeah, their, 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 their supporter, and uh, they did it. But unfortunately for them, uh, Russians were very very attentive, they were awake, and they have beaten the Georgian. But, you know, so we can see this uh, progressive uh, aggressivity uh, from NATO supported by or led by the uh, United States against Russia. And after you have the Maidan coup and, uh, and the Russia. And where do you think this will lead? Um, I mean, we have even Lavrov recently talking about, you know, the threat of World War Three. We've got the West, uh, you know, we've got commentators in the U.S. insisting on direct conflict with yeah. Russia. They're, send, they're sending arms. Yeah. I think this week, I think the Congress just approved yeah. a lot of money. Think, yeah. No, no, you are quite right. Just to explain... I insist a little bit on history, even if it is not very popular, but I think it could be interesting just to to see how deep is this uh, uh, divide and why uh, the the, the fight, why the war we can see now in Ukraine is is, uh, something, uh, yes, very deep in, in the guts, if I can say, of the Ukrainian people of the West, but also for the Russian, obviously. Uh, that's, that's, but you are right. Uh, we, we are not in a new Cold War. It was the, the we are uh, in a new Third World War, if I can say, with this uh, Ukrainian fight. I don't think it will a world war, a total war with nuclear strikes and so on, because every part party is, is aware of the risk of the dangers of a nuclear war, but it will be a global war, implying uh, all the countries, you know, all the world uh, in it. Uh, first, the Europeans, uh, the Americans, the NATO with Canada, Japan, and all the allies uh, of the United States and the European world, the Western world, 
but also China. So, and India and the non-aligned countries, everybody will be impacted by, the, by this war, as we can say, because of energy, of fertilizer, of wheat and agricultural production, and so on. You know, prices going up, and, and, and so on. So for me, we, it's the first... Uh, it's the first battle of the Third World War, if I can say. It's not, the, it's, this war as regional, is regional, if I can say, is local between Ukraine and Russia for the, the, the domination or for the liberation of the Donbass and the, the, the Russian-speaking people in Ukraine, in the Eastern Ukraine. But it's also global unlimited war. I prefer to speak of unlimited war, uh, not total, because it's unlimited in space, as we, with all the world will be, uh, uh, will take part, if I can say, from uh, one step, uh, depend of the, but uh, economically or not forcibly, not uh, uh, obviously uh, military, but also economically and so on. Unlimited in space, but unlimited also in time. Because I don't think this war will finish now. I think the peace is now impossible between, uh, between the two camps. After the Bucha affair, the Bucha supposed crimes of war, crimes against humanity, genocide, they said, uh, by Joe Biden said, I think it's impossible uh, to make peace because the hatred, the, the hate between the two countries is so high that now it's impossible. Even, I, I mean, I live in Geneva, Switzerland, even in Switzerland, because this Butcher affair was created. It was, uh, um, it was a mise-en-scene uh, in English. It was... Uh, um, it, it, it was not fake because uh, all these people died from, false, from the war. Would you say false flag operation? Oh, yes, exactly. False flag operation, that kind of thing, you know, like a, a scenery. Uh, a scenery. It was uh, created in order to, uh, to make the public opinion in the Western country, in Ukraine for sure, but also in Western country, so hysterically anti-Russian, just to impede any chance to, to break any chance of peace, to make this war unlimited in the time. Uh, and same for the Russian, because now uh, in the Donbass, in the parts of Ukraine, uh, let's say, occupied or liberated by the Russian, Kherson in South Africa, it's impossible to come back into a Ukrainian government. Because with these Azov battalions, with these uh, uh, far-white or neo-Nazi people, they will kill everybody. If they win, they will kill everybody now. Because everybody in that parts of Ukraine will be suspected of uh, betrayal or uh, to be accomplice of the Russian, and they will be killed. So it's the, 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 the division, the, 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 
the, the, the, the separation of Ukraine in two uh, parts now is, uh, is done. And it's impossible to go, uh, to, to come back, you know, to the old uh, uh, unified Ukraine because of that. So it's unlimited in space, in time, and also in, um, in, in the team, because it was involved all the aspects of the human activities. It will be a military war, it will be an economic war, it will be a cultural war, as we can say with the, um, the interdiction of uh, Dostoevsky, Tchaikovsky, all the Russian uh, authors and uh, writers and in the West. So it's a cultural war. It's also religious war, as I explained, uh, you know, in the beginning of this uh, talk. And it's also a propaganda war, an information war, as also because propaganda is very strong uh, on, on both sides. So it's a kind of, uh, uh, yes, multi-spectres, I can say, uh, war. So that's why it will not end uh, in the coming months, even in the coming years. All what we can hope is to have a kind of frozen conflict, but peace, I think, will not happen uh, before years and years. I, I would agree with you. I want to get your thought on the information war aspect. I mean, you, you've worked uh, as a journalist and in media yeah. for, for, for many years. And uh, I'm a Croatian citizen. I'm an American. So I'm, I'm, I'm a European American. And yeah. we're told that the West is this democratic, you know, space, freedom and, and all of this. And I just now I'm, you know, I'm experiencing that it's a total lie. Like I'm the West is becoming totalitarian um exactly, in, in, yeah. in your book you've said the west is not the most beautiful in the world the censorship yeah. is insane um you know last year i was terminated from from patreon which is which was one way for people to send me money to to do this yeah. podcast last two weeks ago the department of homeland security in america created the ministry of Tr truth like in, in 1984 exactly, yeah. and the, the disinformation governance board that same week I was banned from PayPal. Uh, and just yesterday, Spotify, one of the most popular podcast channels, started taking down episodes uh, of my podcast. And um, and you've talked about journalists paralyzed by the fear of losing their jobs. Um, and it's crazy what's happening in America and Europe. They've taken down Russia Today channels. And, and, and my own government and these American companies are censoring me, an American, just for having a podcast, just for talking, yeah. uh, having conversations with people like yourself, what, what do you make uh, of this in the West? No, 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 no. But, but, but for me, I, I was surprised, not exactly surprised, because I think it's already a 10 years or 15 years trend, you know, this new or neo-totalitarian trend, uh, as we can say. Uh, it, it happens since a few years with uh, the fact-checkers and uh, the, the, the debunkers, you know, which are just the police of the net. They are just the... Sorry, but the Gestapo of the net. These guys are not there to, 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 to make the real facts existing or to show the, real, the reality. They are just there to make the police and to, uh, 
to impede the people like you or me who are trying to to give uh, to give a broader view of the situation let's say because as a journalist what i try to do is is not to say putin is right or russia is good because it's not uh, it's not the news it's not interesting it's just to say please have a broader vision of the world look, look at all the situation look at the whole picture not only a small part as it is uh, shown by the western media the western press and so on so we live now in a, such a propagandistic uh, information war that it's very hard for for you for me yes to exist what i try because you know you mentioned the democratic the democracy for me it's just a false flag the democracy or the human rights because the western powers have always a democracy and human rights in the mouth you know on the lips all the time they mention oh we are fighting for democracy and human rights that's not true we have seen what was signification the meaning of democracy uh, in yugoslavia in syria in bombing iraq two times bombing afghanistan invasion of uh, libya and so on it was not to bring the democracy it was to bring the chaos because all these countries are living in full chaos so it's no democracy at all and in the, the same time uh, we are supporting saudi arabia which is not precisely a, democ- uh, a model of democracy so that's just fake but this double standard uh, speech uh, is playing well because it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, convincing the western public opi- opinion that the right is with them uh, with it with with us if we can say that's not true but uh, it functions uh, what i try to do as a journalist is to keep borderline <laughs> uh, if i can say i try to to write in the official or mainstream newspaper regularly not to be uh, expelled if i can say you know as a complotist as a, uh, i don't know um, fact of a Yes, complotist or they, they say conspiracy yeah. theorist, right? Conspiracy. Yes, conspiracy theorist and so on. So just to keep the line just at, at the border, <laughs> at the limit, if I can say, uh, in order to to keep audible, if I can say, to keep uh, because what you know, I am a pessimistic about the develop the. the The, the, the future development of our world into a totalitarian new empire if i can say but i am also optimistic because i i think the the light of the truth even if it is small if a, even if it is only a candle let's say like that this brings light and if you can uh, have some uh, truth this truth will be repeated maybe with few people but you, you know the rumor of truth will also expand uh 
if we we say I, I like to make a comparison also sorry for you but with the history you know in the Christian the the beginnings of the Christian times in the Roman Empire these Christians were the dissidents of the time they were against the mainstream imperial Rome they have to live in catacombs they have to hide themselves in forests in poor places in the cities you know a little bit like us today as a minority but they won because years after years they were able to uh, to expand this small light to more and more people so i think it's the the duty we have to maintain this light uh, enlightened if i can say even if it is uh, not so uh, we have uh, it's not so we, we have no big gift we are not gifted or we are not rewarded for that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're one of the few people you're this is the first time i've heard it put the, the way that you have put it and it actually gives me optimism that uh, as you say even if the truth is just one candle left i don't think it can ever be fully uh you know removed and that gives us optimism to keep keep on going and keep doing uh what what we are doing and i i'm also in agreement with you i'm very pessimistic about the future i feel much of the world is becoming moving towards a totalitarianism uh, a brave new world uh, and your book yeah, you talk about exactly. the, you talk about the uh, us becoming transitioning from an uh, imperial uh, republic towards a new empire and if we use the example of of Europe your your second book we don't have t- too much um time to fully get into it i, I recommend people buy your books but yeah. to talk to talk about e- europe uh, i i've interviewed uh, voltaire networks terry maison yeah. not, not long ago he he said that he believed one of the purposes of ukraine was um the the, the conflict was for the us to weaken uh, the eu and europe not to allow it strategic autonomy so it would remain under uh, the exactly. american american empire's exactly. wing uh, as well i questioned the roots of exactly the exactly what mm-hmm. i i explained in my book yes yeah to make europe as a vassal of united states a pure vassal yeah yeah and and i also question i've always questioned the roots of the eu in your book you talk about um um you have a chapter called european technocratic uh, dictatorship you you quote you know what if the plans for europe imagined mm-hmm. under the the nazi occupation were the unsettling prehistory of our democratic european construction soviet dissidents such as bukowski who you cite have dubbed the eu the new european uh so <laughs> soviet and so and even now i just read this week the eu wants to create a total surveillance of all of our emails and phone chats so you will exactly. have no, no privacy and so it's a really not no. looking good what what are your thoughts on the eu no 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 but, but i i think you know i was a supporter of eu 40 years ago because 40 years ago it was uh, yes it was in my view a solution against the civil wars in, in europe and so on but after the globalization after the collapse of uh, of ussr uh, from the 90s the 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 the, the uh, okay i say the soul, the soul of Europe has completely changed, has shifted into a neoliberal uh, power in uh, in uh, art economy uh, centered uh, uh, institution of a uh, um, organization, you know, and uh, and so it was a 
économie, économique totalitarisme, euh, néolibéral, ultra-libéral, ultra-capitaliste. And now it's a shifted into a political one, ideological one, informational one. So, and it will not stop. It will not stop because uh, with the development also of the oligarchies, of the oligarchs, we say, oh, there is oligarch, there are oligarchs in Russia, but the oligarchs are between us, are at home. And this social class, will never uh, leave the power, will never abandon the power. So uh, it will happen exactly during what happened in the Roman times with the development of transformation of the Roman Republic 2,000 years ago into an empire, a totalitarian empire. It's exactly what we can see now. And Europe, Europe is, is following this, uh, this path. Uh, under the United States umbrella. I, I was hoping, or, or yes, hoping, dreaming that Europe could resist to that, could transform itself, not into a vassal of the United States, but as an autonomous, uh, an independent, uh, neutral uh, organization or continent uh, able to make the balance between United States and China. United States and China are the two rising powers, if I can say. So we need, for the security of the world, we need a third power. It could be Europe, just to bring a kind of balance between the two, because if we have only two competitors, probably one, year, one time they will make a war between them. But if you have multipolar world, as Russia also wished, but also other countries like India, like Brazil, uh, or Europe, if Europe could play this role of uh, a third part, a uh, kind of arbiter, a kind of uh, counterbalancing power between China and Europe, the world would become more, uh, much more secure But unfortunately, this is not what Europe is, is doing. As we can say in the Ukraine war, uh, uh, Europe has taken side with the United States, is, is even more historical than the, the, the Americans in that conflict. There were, Europe will uh, want more sanctions, deliver more weapons to the Ukrainians. So it's completely crazy for me. That's why I am very pessimistic about the destiny of uh, my continent, if I can say. I would agree with you. And just along those lines, I mean, I, I see some contradictions, not in what you're saying, but just uh, I'm making observations where um, in your book, you've talked about Europe being solely on the way to third worldization, uh, that the day is perhaps not far off because there's this huge inequality. We're seeing it globally. Yeah. You know, we're seeing it in the U.S., here in Mexico. I mean, the economy globally is just declining and uh, we're, it's, it's like the middle class is being wiped out and we've got the ultra Uh, elites, oligarchs, as you say, yeah. and, 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 this and the quality of the infrastructures, the, the railroad, the, the roads, the, the schooling also, it's collapsing. The level of the, of the schooling, of the education is, is collapsing in the, 
in, in the Western world. Uh, you can see now that the Korean, the Indians are better in mathematics, uh, in physics, and many science uh, better than us. So because the level is, is, is going down, that's also a bad sign of uh, for the future. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I worked in education for more than a decade in Kazakhstan. Yeah. I was working working and here in Mexico. And just just to kind of get your view on where it, it and you say that uh, history shows us that there are two alternatives. Both are disastrous. That the decline of the republic and its transformation into a repressive, repressive totalitarian uh, regime. As you said, the EU. Um, and, and, and America as well. A lot of people say the U.S. empire is declining, collapsing, the dollar is losing its status. So kind of like in the West, in the U.S. and EU, there's talk of them declining econom economically, collapsing, even civil war. Yet at the same time, I mean, you, you talk about this new empire rising, and I'm trying to understand. I, I can see both. I can see in one way the Western empire does seem to be strong, but at the same time, there are a lot of these cracks uh, appearance. Yes. Uh, how do you evaluate that? Yeah, no, no. That's uh, apparently uh, contradictory. You know, we have an expansion of the empire, and also uh, a kind of uh, the intern uh, collapse. But what happens is that uh, in in such when such an evolution can be observed, it's a kind of militarization of the empire. Because you need more and more police, you need more and more army in order to maintain the angry citizens. You know, the gilets jaunes, for instance, in France, because the, the social classes who are excluded from the prosperity, prosperity is stolen by the upper class. So these people are more and more angry because they have no chance of development for their children. Uh, they have less and less medical care, they have less money, and so on. So in order to keep these people quiet, you need strong police or strong army, because uh, police and army, it's just the two legs of the same security state, you know. And we are living since the 9-11, uh, we are living in our countries in the West in more and more police. Uh, policy or police police state. state yeah yeah yes exactly and we have for instance emergency we are living on emergency state you know because we we have the the, the parliaments have voted emergency laws you know emergency law because of terrorism uh, war against terrorism now it's war against russia it was war against covid-19 you know, every two years or every three years, you have a new war against a new enemy because you need an enemy to, <laughs> to strengthen the police and to make the citizen, you know, just uh, quiet and uh, uh, obey, uh, obeyful, you know. Uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, the future I, I am fearing uh, uh, for us in the coming years. But uh, let's keep optimistic too because... Uh, we have to keep the world. We have to open. <laughs> yes, the yeah. 
J just one more comment on on that. Just got another question or two left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as no you problem. said, as they said, um, yeah, definitely. And next week, I'll be speaking to Professor William Robinson, who walked, who has a book about the global police state. Um, okay. But but um, you've mentioned in your book, like these digital technologies, the fourth industrial revolution. It seems that they will try to use some of these uh, digital technologies to try to control us like the eu is now creating this digital id yeah. this digital passport we saw during the pandemic uh, you were not allowed to go into some some countries like supermarkets or travel without your phone yeah, exactly. with, with the passport uh, do, do, uh, what, what are your thoughts on on this it's like a chinese social credit system any thoughts on these digital technologies that will be used to control us you know that's exactly the point because we like to denounce the the policy state of the chinese but we are applying exactly the same receipts. So that's, that's, that's the problem. That's, that's the problem. And, you know, I am a supporter because I met Assange, Julian Assange, twice. He came in 2010 in the Swiss Press Club when I was the director. And in 2015, I visited him in uh, his Ecuadorian uh, embassy in London. So I met him twice. I am a big supporter because he was the first one after it was fast. Snowden uh, did the same a few years later, but Assange was the, the first uh, uh, whistleblower uh, saying, pay attention. We are living in a surveillance, a new surveillance world. He was quite right. He said that 30 years ago, uh, 12 years ago. And uh, now we are just seeing exactly what he has announced 12 years ago, just in our uh, life, just today, uh, with the QR code and everything, and also the phone, uh, everything is under control and uh, we have no more privacy. That's finished for a long time. But I am sure we will find, uh, I don't know, an underground way uh, to survive or to, uh, you, you know, to, 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 uh, to go behind the obstacle or on the, upon the obstacle, yeah. Like, like the I Christian. don't know how, I don't uh -huh. know yet how and when, but we will do it. Like the Christians in the catacombs and to end on exactly. the more... Exactly. Yeah, on the more... And you know... Mm -hmm. I, I know what I, I think. What is important for me, when we are a few people to say that, it's important for me to get personal links, to make a community. Because why, for me, the, the early Christians could survive? Because they were very strong as a community. They share not only the values and the religion and so on, you know, but they they share a sense, a deep sense of community, of human relations, let's say like that. That's very important because if you feel completely alone in your office, if I am feeling completely alone in my uh, small place in Geneva, I am completely lost. But if we can talk as we are doing now, we create a community. Other people will join, maybe not a lot, but supporting, and I think that's really important. It's like the candlelight, you know, this kind of, because what this 
these people, this new regime is trying to do is to destroy the human community, the human being. So if we are able to maintain, we will we will win one day. <laughs> that's what that's what they tried to do the last two years with this biosecurity state, uh, exactly. so, social distancing, isolate everyone, lockdown, yeah. which is a prison term. Uh, so if you have any final thought for us, you know, as you said, how, how do how do citizens prepare for the tough times ahead, resisting tyranny, fighting for a better future, better Europe, better world? I, I think you already gave one of the key um, uh, advices, which was. You know, keep telling the truth with hold on to that little candle and community. I think that's one of the yes. most important things. No. Yes. Keep keep the truth alive together, if I can say. <laughs> yeah. Um, is is there any? Uh, I, I really haven't found much uh, presence of you online. Are, are there any? You know, where are the best places to find you online, or or what books oh, or, or, or projects uh, should we know about? I am not very active online because I am more writer, so I write articles. I publish articles in the in the papers, but uh, I have not so many podcasts to be frank. And unfortunately, they are in French until now. Mm-hmm. But as you can say, my English is not so good, but I, I try, but <laughs> it's not so good. So I have to improve it to make uh, some podcasts in, in English. But uh, thanks to you, I will try to do to do that. Yeah. Well, you, 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 there's no no problem there. My my French uh, is is <laughs> absolutely <laughs> horrible. And where were the? You've got a few books in in English. I think we can get them from Clarity Press or Amazon. Yes, yeah? yes, that's the, the the you mentioned creating Wasopobia and Europe's existential dilemma for the moment in English. They've been published in China too, in Russia. Uh, the first one also in Sweden, in Italy, and uh, in other countries, but uh, only two in, in English for now. But uh, we will continue anyway. Yes, keep on fighting the good fight. And again, I would tell everyone to buy Guy Metan's books. Uh, the links will be in the description from Clarity Press, Amazon, or wherever. And merci for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Thank you for you. and. Please keep in touch. We can exchange uh, as you like, as often as you as you wish. Yeah, with pleasure for me. I hope you enjoyed this geopolitics and empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned Geopolitics and Empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help Geopolitics and Empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, 
Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.